I would like to uh, mention before I get into the sermon, I don't know if it's been mentioned since I haven't been here, but the contribution for that Sunday that was going to the Bahamas, the men in the business meeting last week uh, decided to match that and send it to the Bahamas for relief. So I'm going to commend those that gave and those that gave extra. I'm sure that it will be used in a good way. Also, I'd like to thank Steve and Mike for filling in while I were gone. Um, Surely did a great job. One of the most dangerous phrases that can be spoken in or out of the church is that phrase that's on the screen. I think God will understand. And usually that is said at a time when maybe someone's not doing what God said to do. And they want to do something different. And they say, "God, I think God understands. And they may add something onto the end of it. I think God will understand my situation. Or I think God understands my heart. I think God understands in some way that what I'm doing is good. And usually it comes from those who have read little of the Bible or none of the Bible, but yet they claim to be religious in one way or another. And then there are others who have not matured spiritually, who believe that God will understand whatever they're doing. Young Christians who have not studied God's Word and matured to the point where they've come to the knowledge of God's Word so that they can apply it to their lives, maybe they'll make that statement, I believe God understands. And then there's people and congregations who have read and they understand what the Bible teaches, but they don't have the respect or the regard for the Scriptures. They don't really appreciate what God has said for them to do. They want to go in a different direction. And I'm not so sure that God does understand, especially if it's something that we know God's Word specifically tells us to do or condemns. When God's spoken, that is the truth. And we can rely upon that truth. And if I go outside of that truth and am living contrary to what God's Word has told me, then I can think all I want about how He's going to understand, but that doesn't necessarily mean that He is going to understand. That statement has and will cost good people their eternal salvation. There are a lot of sincere and, and, sincere and, and dedicated people but does not, that does not mean that they are right. The Pharisees were dedicated. They were very knowledgeable in God's Word, but yet Jesus condemned them. And so just because we think that God's going to understand our situation or our belief does not mean that God is going to understand it. And I don't want to find out on the Day of Judgment that He really didn't understand it, that He expected me to live by what He's told me in His Word because at that point, it will be too late to change. But there are some things that God does understand which we should be mindful of. And there's three things that I want us to think about today. God understands what He has commanded us to do. 
He understands what He has commanded as we can look in Jeremiah. If you would, turn your Bibles over to Jeremiah chapter 1. In Jeremiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, we find an introduction to Jeremiah. We find that he received the word of the Lord in the days of Josiah, the king of Judah, and in the days of Jehoiakim, and in the days of Zedekiah. And in Jeremiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 4, we receive or learn that word that Jeremiah received of God. It says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Behold, I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou comest out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Our Lord God, Behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. I want you to stop right there for a moment. Here we see that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. That's the word of God. Now, a lot of people today would say, if God spoke to me like that, I would listen. He's given us His written word. Do we need to listen to that written word? We do need to listen to it. And then we see that Jeremiah begins to offer an excuse as to why he cannot do what God wants him to do. I'm just a child. What does God tell him? Verse 7, The Lord said unto me, Say not that I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth His hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, and I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out to pull down, and to destroy, and to throw down, to build, and to plant. What was Jeremiah's purpose here? God had given Jeremiah instructions. God expected Jeremiah to follow those commands. He understood what he was telling Jeremiah. And we see there that Jeremiah is going to find out that there are people that aren't going to be willing to listen to your message. They're not going to be nice to you. They're going to say things and do things that you're not going to like. And the reason for that is, there in that last part of verse 10, because you're going to root out, to pull down, and to destroy and throw down. Now, when you confront people today about sin, you don't always have a positive reaction. People aren't always happy when they hear that what they're doing isn't right and that they need to change. And there are times that people need to tear down a relationship. Now they need to tear down something that they're doing in their life and rebuild. And that's what Jeremiah is told to do. Tear all of this down. build, And then, to build and to plant. We strengthen people. We encourage people. We build people up. You think about people when they come out of the world. Some are involved in some terrible things. And they need to give those things up. And we need to build them up and to strengthen them. To plant the Word of God in their hearts. So Jeremiah had a mission. And God understood that mission that He had given to Jeremiah. He understood what He had commanded. Now if you would, turn over to Ezekiel chapter 2. In Ezekiel chapter 2, we find another example where the prophet had been carried away during the Babylonian captivity. 
But he's also given commands to, by God. And Ezekiel chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, And he said unto me, Son of man, stand upon thy feet, and I will speak unto thee. And the Spirit entered into me when he spake unto me, and set me upon my feet, that I heard him that spake unto me. And he said unto me, Son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that have rebelled against me. Now when you stop right there, think about that. You're sending a prophet, a man of God, with the words of God to a rebellious nation who's turned away from God. Did God know what He was doing? Did God understand His command that He's giving to Ezekiel? goes on, "...they and their fathers have transgressed against Me even unto this very day, for they are impudent children and stiff-necked. I do send thee unto them, and thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God. And they, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are the rebellious house, yet shall know that there hath been a prophet among them." And thou son of man, be not afraid of them, neither be afraid of their words, though briar and thorns be with thee, and thou doest well among scorpions. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they be a rebellious house. And thou shalt speak my words unto them, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are most rebellious." Here again, the message is not going to be something that people want to hear. Unfortunately, today, people don't want to hear what God's Word has to say. It seems like when you go out into the world and you listen to things on television, sometimes on the radio, you hear things that show us that the world doesn't want to hear about God. And that if you believe in God, there's something wrong with you. <clears throat> and I would imagine that that was kind of the attitude that we see with those that were rebellious against God. We don't want to know what God has to say. We don't want to do what God wants us to do. We want to do what we want to do. And so God has sent Jeremiah to tell them what they needed to do. He sent Ezekiel to tell them what they needed to do. And they were to speak the words of the Lord. And as it says there in Ezekiel, whether they listen or not, they'll know that there's a prophet. They'll know that there's a man of God. They'll know that what they heard should have been what they were doing. They spoke the words of the Lord. I ask you, is our charge any different today? When we go out into the world with the Gospel, when we study with people concerning the Gospel, when we tell our friends and neighbors at work or wherever we may be about the Gospel of Christ, <clears throat> are we to speak the Word of God? Are we to shy away from things that they may not want to hear? Because we don't want to offend them? I wonder if Jeremiah or Ezekiel was concerned about the truth offending the rebellious children of Israel. The truth is the only thing that can set us free. I want you to think about that charge that they were given, but look at the charge that Timothy was given. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, or chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Paul tells Timothy, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom. Preach the Word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Paul told Timothy, preach the Word. As Marshall Keeble used to say, be instant in season, out of season, that means preach it when they want to hear it, preach it when they don't want to hear it. Are there times in our lives that we don't want to hear what God's Word has to say? And if there is, we need someone to stand up and tell us what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. Because the Word of God is the only thing that has the power to save souls. And so we see that God gave commands and He understood what He was telling Jeremiah and Ezekiel to do. He understood what Paul, through the Holy Spirit, was telling Timothy that he was charged to do. You see, people would rather hear something that sounds good and makes them feel good as opposed to hearing what they need to hear in order to be saved. We can see where God continued to give commands and warnings to the children of Israel to follow Him. But it was up to them as to whether or not they accepted that message. The same is true today. We are to take the Gospel out of the world. We are to preach the truth. And we are to listen to it and obey it. But again, that's up to the listener. That's up to you today as to whether or not you want to listen to what God's Word has to say or you want to be a rebellious people. God gives us commands to follow. He gives us warnings to heed. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. <clears throat> Does God expect us to obey him? You see, many times as we've talked about, we talked in Bible class this morning, we make God over. We remake Him. We make Him into what we want Him to be. We make Him accept what we like as opposed to us changing ourselves to be what God likes, to be what God wants us to be. We need to obey Him. In Matthew chapter 7, and verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto Me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of My Father which is in heaven. Jesus plainly tells us that we have to be obedient but the choice is up to you and me as to whether we want to do that. And we need to do it for the right reason because we want to serve God. We love Him. And we want to please Him. We are to follow the commands of God if we are to have any hope of heaven. When you look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus goes on and He gives two parables. Or a parable of the wise man and the foolish man. I want you to notice in that parable that both people, the wise man and the foolish man, they built. Both of them built a house. The wise man listened and he did what he was told. The foolish man didn't. He built a house though. But one stood and the other fell. Why did the one fall? Because he didn't do what he was supposed to do. You see, brethren, we build a life here on this earth. And there's a lot of sincere people. You may be sincere, but you're not building on the right foundation. 
You're not doing what the Lord wants you to do as opposed to what or you're doing what you want to do as opposed to what the Lord wants you to do. And it looks good. And it sounds good. Everybody's looking at you and saying, what a good person that is. But God knows your heart. He knows what's going on on the inside. And I've always thought when it talked about that foolish man's house falling, it says, and great was the fall of it. God has commanded us and He understands what He's commanded us to do. Imagine getting to the day of judgment and finding out that we were the foolish man because we didn't build like the Lord wanted us to build. Does God care about details? Does God care about how we do things when we're doing what He's told us to do? He most certainly does. He cares about the details, the big ones and the little ones. So we need to be concerned about that. God also understands how He commanded us to do it. If you have your Bible, turn over to Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, we find there that God tells the children of Israel to conquer Jericho. And He tells them how to do it. Beginning at verse 1, it says, Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thy hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. And ye have compassed the city, and ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go around about the city once. Thou shalt do six days. The seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horn. And the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass, when they have made a loud blast of the ram's horn, and when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. Now, when you read that story, that event, that true event, it doesn't make sense that the children of Israel walk around the city, and then later uh, on the seventh day they walk around and they, they blow the trumpets and they yell, and the walls fall, fall down. It kind of reminds me of the little boy who went home from Bible class. His dad asked him, what did you learn in Bible class? He said, well, we learned how Joshua and the children of Israel conquered Jericho. They had tanks and they had airplanes and they bombed the city and they bombed the walls and everything fell down. And they conquered the city. And the dad said, I don't think that's how it goes. The little boy said, well, if I told you what the teacher said, you really wouldn't believe that. You see, the story doesn't make sense, does it? But God said, do it. And whether it makes sense to us or not, that's what God commanded them to do. He told them how to do it, and they did it, and guess what happened? The walls fell down flat, just like He said. Was there any other way that they could have taken the city? No. Look at the Ark of the Covenant. 
God told them how it should be built in Exodus chapter 25. Told them what kind of wood, how to overlay it with gold. Told them how to put the rings on. All the, all the detail of that ark of the covenant, they were instructed on how to build it and what it was supposed to look like. God told them who was authorized to carry it and how it was to be handled. In Numbers chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, Take the sum of the sons of Kohath from among the sons of Levi, after their families by the house of their fathers, from thirty years old and upward, even until fifty years old, all that entered into the host to do the work of the tabernacle of the congregation. This shall be the service of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of the congregation about the most holy things. And then down in verse 15, And when Aaron and his sons had made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary at the camp to set forward, and after that, the sons of Kohath shall come to bear it, but they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. These things are the burdens of the son of Kohath in the tabernacle of the congregation. I want you to think about that for a moment. God gave Moses instructions. He told each tribe what they were to do. The tribe of Levi was to take care of the tabernacle. Kohath was to take care of carrying the ark, for one thing. And they were told not to touch it because they would die. And I want you to notice that in the service, it talked about from the age 30 to 50 was those that were to participate in this service or this work. Do you notice that nowhere do we find in the Scripture where they said, well, I'm 29, why can't I do it? Or why do I have to stop at 51? Why is it that I can't do what I want to do and God has set limitations on it? Or why is it some other member of the tribe of Levi saying, why can't we carry it? Why can't I carry it? You notice they don't ask those questions. God doesn't owe us an explanation as to why we are to do the things He has told us to do in a certain way. And if you noticed, they didn't ask. I believe it is because they had respect for what God had said. God set the order. God told them the pattern. God told them what to do. And they listened and they obeyed. Numbers chapter 7, verses, beginning in verse 3. And they brought their offering before the Lord, six covered wagons and twelve oxen, a wagon for two of the princes and for each one an ox. And they brought them before the tabernacle, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take it of them, and they may do or be to do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation, and thou, wilt, and thou shalt give them unto the Levites, to every man according to his service. And Moses took the wagons and the oxen and gave them unto the Levites. Two wagons and four oxen he gave to the sons of Gershom according to their service. And four wagons and eight oxen he gave unto the sons of Merai according to their service under the hand of Ithamar the son of Aaron the priest. But unto the sons of Kohath he gave none because the service of the sanctuary belonged unto them was that they should bear upon their shoulders." Why carry it on your shoulders? Wouldn't it be easier to use some other means of transportation? Why did they need to carry it on their shoulders? 
God doesn't say. But they didn't ask either. You see, when God commanded to do it, they did it. Isn't it amazing sometimes when we obey the Gospel, we're eager to do what God tells us to do. But as we mature and get older, we kind of get a little laid back. And we stop doing some of the things we know we should. So God understands what He commands. And God understands what He commands us to do and how we're to do it. Think about worship in the New Testament. Eight examples in the New Testament concerning worship and song all exclude instrumental music. He commands us to sing and not play. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19, Paul says, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And yet we will hear people say, well, it's that, that word, well, those words in there means that we could pluck the instrument. We could play. Wouldn't it have been just as easy for Paul to have said in that exact same manner, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual song, singing and playing an instrument and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Wouldn't that have been just as easy for Paul to have said? But that's not what he said, is it? And in fact, people understood that for centuries after that command was given. It wasn't the instruments weren't introduced into worship for hundreds of years after this this verse was given. Colossians three and verse sixteen. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Did God understand what he wanted us to do? He said, sing. So why would anyone want to say, well, I, I think that we should have an instrument. I think that would sound good too. Who are we? Any one of us. To question what God has told us to do. <clears throat> Those instruments were introduced several hundred years after the church was established with no authority from God's Word. The Lord's Supper. Acts 20 and verse 7. On the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread. They came together on the first day of the week. That bread that they were breaking was the Lord's Supper. We know that Paul preached to them until midnight. No other day do we find where they partook of the Lord's Supper except on the first day of the week, except when the Lord instituted on the night that He was betrayed. When the church was established, we find no other passage of Scripture that says that we can take it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. We only see that it was on the first day of the week. When we partake of it, what's the purpose of it? It's not a celebration. I've heard it referred to, we come to celebrate the death of Christ. No, that's not what it's here, what it's for. It's a memorial. We are here to assemble around the table to partake of the Lord's Supper to remember His death. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, beginning. 
For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He brake it. And He said, Take, eat, this is My body, which is broken for you, do this do in remembrance of Me. After the same manner also He took the cup, when He had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in My blood, this do ye, as oft as ye drink it, in remembrance of Me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death until He come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. What Paul tell us there? Tells us that the Lord instituted that. And that the bread represents His body and the fruit of the vine represents His shed blood. And what did He say? And as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until He comes. We gather around this table, and we'll do that later this morning, in solemn remembrance of what our Lord has done for us. The fact that you and I are the ones that nailed Him to the cross. Do we really want to celebrate that? Seems like it should be more of a memorial, doesn't it? To remember what our Lord did for you and me. How He died on the cross. Think about attendance. Back up. Will God really understand replacing the worship assembly for some sporting event? Or for some other activity that we might like to participate in? I've heard people say, it's the only day that I have to spend with my family. I've heard people say, only day that I have to go grocery shopping. It's the only day that I have to be or to myself to relax. And usually at the end of that, they'll say, I think God understands me. Does He? How do you know? Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, "...not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching." I hear people try to explain that verse. And many times they'll say, well, that's talking about if you totally quit going. Well, yeah, that would be definitely forsaking the assembly. But what am I doing? If I choose to be somewhere else as opposed to where God's people are supposed to be, can I forsake once or do I have to do it a multiple time over a multiple time period before it's forsaking? Is there a place in the Scripture where worship assembly is just an afterthought to our fun or our activities or our enjoyment? No, worship is for a purpose. We assemble to praise God. We praise God for all the blessings that we received. We're thankful for His protection, His love, His long-suffering. We're thankful for His Son who died on the cross and His love for offering us on that cross. We need to be careful with our assumptions of God. God. 
Yet we say God will understand. God understands our obedience to His commands. There are consequences for disobedience. We turn over to 1 Chronicles chapter 13. We find there in the beginning of that beginning of those verses, verse of, beginning of verse 5, that David had gathered all of Israel together to bring the ark of God back to Jerusalem. And in verse 7 it says, And they carried the ark of God in a new cart out of the house of Abinadad. And Uzzah and Ahio drave the cart. And David and all of Israel played before God in all their might and with singing and with harps and with psalteries and with timbrels and with cymbals and with trumpets. I want to stop right there. Here they've loaded the ark on a new cart. And now they're going down the road, going on their way, and they're happy. They're rejoicing. They're praising God. There's just one problem. They're not transporting that ark in the way that God told them to transport it. So I want you to think about that. Our joy, our happiness, our praise does not supersede what God has commanded us. If you want to feel good, you need to feel good about doing what God has commanded us to do. Verse 9, And when they came to the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him, because he put his hand to the ark, and there he died before God. They're enjoying themselves. They're having a good time praising God. Oh, they're playing, and, and everything's going good. And then the oxen stumbles. Doesn't it make sense that if the ark was shaken, that you would try to steady it? Because it's something valuable. It's something good. Doesn't it just make sense that your natural reaction would be to hold it and to stop it? We're having a good time. All that happened was this ox stumbled and he touched it so that it wouldn't fall off or have something happen to it. And God smote him. I don't believe Uzzah touched that ark to test God. I don't believe that he was rebelling against God or trying to defy God when he touched that ark. It was a natural response. You know, people have been electrocuted from just a natural reaction. Drop something electrical in water and try to grab it real quick and lose their life. They didn't do it on purpose. They just wanted to grab it and get it out of the water. Also, just wanted to steady the ark. But God told them how to transport that ark, told them who was to transport that ark. And they disobeyed what God said. Nadab and Abihu. Leviticus chapter 6, beginning verse 12, And the fire upon the altar shall be burning in it, 
It shall not be put out. The priest shall burn wood on it every morning and lay burnt offerings in order upon it. And it shall burn until the fat and the peace offering. And the fire shall ever be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. They were told where this fire was to come from. Verse uh, chapter ten, verses one and two, and Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, and he commanded which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. God had told them where the fire was to come from. They offered a strange fire. To me, it would seem like fire's fire. What's it matter where it comes from? But God specified where it was to come from. And they violated what God told them to do. Is obeying God important? Are the details important? I think they are. Now, we may not like that, but I'm not God. God is. God is God, and we are not. In Numbers chapter 20, Moses and the rock. Beginning in verse 7, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron, thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth of them water out of the rock, so that thou shalt give the congregation and their beast drink. And Moses took the rod from before the, before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, Hear, ye, hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believed me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given thee. Simple disobedience. Standing before a rebellious people, people that were complaining and whining all the time. You can see, I don't know about you, but I can see how that would get on Moses' nerves. That didn't give Moses the authority or the right to take matters into his own hands and disobey God. And because of his actions, he wasn't allowed to go into the promised land. Now we may look at some of these things and we say, oh, that just doesn't seem fair. doesn't seem fair that Uzzah died. doesn't seem fair that Nadab and Abihu, just for something simple, the strange fire, that they would die. doesn't seem fair that Moses would not be allowed to go into the promised land after wandering the wilderness with those people all of those years. But what we should learn is that God cares about the details. We need to obey Him. Moses never got to finish leading the children of Israel into the land of Canaan because of his disobedience. You see, God is serious about us obeying Him. In Matthew 7, verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto Me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of My Father which is in heaven. So I wrote that Scripture, put that Scripture in my sermon. I thought that's probably one of the Scriptures that I've repeated more and more than any other verse in the Bible standing in this pulpit. 
who I know I quote this verse quite often because it's very important that we do the will of God. Because not everyone that says they're going to heaven is going to make it to heaven because they're not doing God's will. They're doing their will. And that's what I want us to understand. That we need to do God's will. We need to listen to His Word. Because there's rewards for obedience. The children of Israel were finally released from captivity when they repented. And we have great rewards when we are obedient to Christ. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 31, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed in Him, If ye continue in My Word, then ye are My disciples indeed. So when we obey God, when we obey Christ, when we do what we're supposed to do to become a child of His, when we accept that glorious invitation and we're buried with our Lord in baptism, we belong to Christ. Do you understand what a privilege that is to belong to Christ? Where we can call Christ our elder brother and we can call God our Father? Do you understand the beauty in that? Of what price was paid so that you and I would have that privilege? And then, think about it. If we live a faithful life here on this earth, when we come to the end of this life, we'll be able to spend our eternity a word I'm not even sure we can comprehend, but we'll spend our eternity with our Father and our elder brother for eternity in heaven. We need to be consistent with our obedience and allegiance to God. Not using God to rationalize our actions. In 1 John 2, verses 3-5, through "...and hereby we do know that ye know Him, if we keep His commandments." He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whosoever keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Are you in Christ? And Christ expects us to obey him. He expects us to do what he's told us to do, how he's told us to do it, realizing that he will reward us if we're faithful. As we conclude, we understand that we're able to obey and trust God. We don't have to guess at what He wants us to do. We don't have to guess at how He wants us to live. We don't have to guess at what we're going to be judged by on the day of judgment. We can trust God that we're going to stand before Christ on the judgment seat and give an account of our lives compared to what God's Word has taught us. And we'll receive the promises based on what His Word has said. We need to sever our ties with the world, sever our ties with former lusts that we have, and establish our ties with Christ. That we want to be with Him. That we want to be close to Him and close to our Father. You see, God understands a broken and damaged life and is willing to forgive if we'll repent and turn to Him and do what He's told us to do to have the forgiveness of sin. On the day of Pentecost, when they cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They had been guilty of crucifying Christ. Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Today, you can do the same thing. You can be buried with our Lord in baptism when you've turned away from your sin, when you put your faith in Him. That baptism will be accepted to God. And you will be a child of His. And all we need to understand is that God delivers on His promise. 
that if we are faithful, that if we will return away from our sin, confess His name and be buried with our Lord in baptism, He'll wash away our sins because we believe what the Bible teaches about Jesus Christ. Maybe you haven't been faithful. <clears throat> Maybe you've made made excuses. Maybe you're one of those that says, I think God will understand. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do and I know it, but I think He's going to understand my situation. Don't rely on those excuses. God's told us. And He's told us because He loves us what we need to do. So this morning, if you need to do that, if you need to be buried with our Lord in baptism, we're here to help you. If you need our prayers, we're here to pray for you. We're here to do whatever we can to help you to get to heaven because that's where we all want to go. So this morning, if you need to respond to the invitation, feel free to do so by coming to have a seat up here on the front row while we stand and sing.